there. Welcome to Leadership in Lattes. I'm Trisha Ryan, and I'm here virtually with my co-hosts, Danielle Lord and Crystal Roberts. We're very happy that you joined us today. Today, we're going to be talking about trust, which is um, a follow-up to our last trust session. And we're very lucky today. We're so fortunate and honored to have Jack Zenger with us. And I will give you the, the short intro, if you will, Jack. Um, Jack Zenger is the co-founder and chief executive officer of Zenger Folkman, a professional services firm providing consulting and leadership development programs for organizational effectiveness initiatives. Jack is a best-selling author, speaker, and a national columnist for Forbes and Harvard Business Review. With more than five decades of experience, Jack is considered a world expert in the field of leadership development and organizational behavior. He is highly esteemed an influential speaker, consultant, an executive coach with the ability to connect with audiences through compelling research and inspiring stories. Zinger Folkman delivers high impact leadership development and corporate training programs with the goal of helping clients boost employee productivity, strengthen employee commitment, and improve bottom line profitability. His publications include over 13 books that he has either authored and co-authored, including How to Be Exceptional, Drive Leadership Success by Magnifying Your Strengths, The Extraordinary Leader, followed by The Updated Extraordinary Leader, Turning Good Managers into Great Leaders, and The Inspiring Leader, Unlocking the Secrets of How Extraordinary Leaders Motivate, along with his newest book, Speed, how Leaders Accelerate Successful Execution. And so I would like to welcome you, Jack, to our podcast today. And um, I hope you want to have fun because I think that you will with us. <laughs> Not easy being interviewed by three women. <laughs> I've never had the experience of being interviewed simultaneously by three women. So I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> Uh, my pleasure to be with you. I'm, I'm delighted. Yep. Thank you. Crystal? So I've got the first question. This is Crystal. And this is a really broad one. So this is just whatever you want to bring into this question. So tell us your story. <laughs> tell you my story. Yeah. My story. Oh, boy. My story of, of, of my life and my career, or just whatever, wherever I want to go. Huh? Wherever you want to go. Tell us a little okay. about who you are and where you've been. Yeah, we, we did your bio, so that's all that stuff. Uh, Beyond yeah, you, your bio, yeah. You, yes. you told me, yeah, you told the, the audience here more than they probably wanted to know. <laughs> um, since I was a very young boy, I have been fascinated by the subject of leadership. So my father was a hospital administrator. So as a young boy, I used to go work at the hospital doing menial tasks like mowing the lawn and filing x-rays and doing sorts of stuff. And I had a chance to interact with lots of people in the hospital. And one of the things I became very aware of was the, the, 
the leverage that a good manager could have over the, the, the success of the area that they were responsible for. So I saw a head nurse who was just an absolutely wonderful uh, leader in what impact she had on that nursing uh, staff. And uh, the pathologist and the, and the person in charge of the record keeping area. So, uh, and I had a chance to watch my, my father who, who had been at this hospital and uh, was there for like 25 years, which is unusual for a hospital administrator to be that mm -hmm. long in one position. Uh, and so as I went to graduate school and went on in, in uh, my academic studies, uh, I was interested in psychology, but never in the clinical side, never in the pathological kind of side, but really more in the, how can you apply these principles to, to practical business uh, and, and daily life? Uh, and so I've, I've had a varied career uh, in that I was uh, an academic for two or three years uh, and then served as an adjunct professor at at Stanford in later years. Uh, I've had a, a corporate career where I was a, a corporate officer and had a chance to see how the world looked from the inside. Uh, and then I've had a chance to spend most of my career in the external world of, of consulting, kind of being a supplier or vendor of leadership development to court organizations. Uh, you could describe that as a very checkered, uncertain career, or you could say, well, it's, it's, he's had a chance to see it from different sides. I've really uh, appreciated the opportunity to kind of see it from different directions. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, um, as, a, as of today, I'm 89 years of age, still mm -hmm. not quite sure what I'll be when I grow up. Uh, and kind of loving what I do and uh, finding a lot of excitement in um, in the kind of questions and challenges that that the the world of leadership development still continues to face. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that tells you more than you probably wanted to hear about my story. Anyway. <laughs> well, before you jump away from that, though, is there any one thing that you've never been asked that you always wanted to answer? <laughs> Mm -hmm. I can't, I, I don't know, I can't think of anything I want to be asked. No, I, um, I, I feel it, I've had a very fortunate life. I've had, uh, I've had the good fortune of working for some companies that never wanted me to do things that were unethical or to cut corners. Mm -hmm. I've had a chance to I've had a chance to be in a, in a variety of careers where I thought I was making a useful contribution. Um, so I, I, feel, I feel fortunate because I know that not all people have had that, that kind of experience. Um, I, I believe that this um, world that we're immersed in, in terms of uh, how do we help leaders become more effective I think we're, we're beginning to see better and better answers in, in my lifetime. I've certainly witnessed a, an evolution of thinking about what good leadership consists of mm -hmm. 
And I think I've seen some real progress in terms of how we're going about, you know, executing it. Uh, so I, no, I can't think of any specific question <laughs> that I wish somebody had asked me. I had to do it, throw it out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I think of it, I'll tell you. I'll give you. <laughs> Daniel. Yeah, so uh, it's a pleasure to meet you, Jack. I spent uh, 20 some years in healthcare as well, including some time in a hospital working with physicians. And uh, mm. actually my dissertation topic was on nurses, uh, nursing satisfaction. So mm. yes, yeah, it's an interesting world. Uh, but you know, the, the last time as Trisha alluded to our last uh, podcast conversation was around trust. And I know that you yourself have done quite a bit of work around trust and uh, I think, you know, for me, when we think about trust, it's kind of this ethereal concept, right? You kind of know it when you see it or when you feel it and you know it's not there uh, when it's when it's absent. But I think um, as, as we have you with us today, I'm thinking, is there one innumerable element uh, that stands out to you that a leader or a, a, even an emerging leader or even a seasoned leader could kind of hang their hat on, so to speak, that was something that just stands out to you as the one thing, regardless of what you do, uh, that, that stands out? And, and uh, what might that be in, your, in all your research? <laughs> well, uh, sir, it, it, one of the things I remember very distinctly in my early career was uh, meeting a pretty reputable psychologist who was saying that if you were to, to draw a model of what creates effective organizations, uh, that you would you would say that that the very basic bedrock the the, the foundation on which organizations uh, are are established is this layer of, of trust between the people who work with each other and that when that does not exist um, the the organization you can have you can have good communication you can have all kinds of effective work processes, you can have all kinds of creative uh, product development, you can, do a, you can do a variety of things, but unless there is this rock solid foundation of trust, then the organization is, is not on a stable uh, footing. And you always need to kind of be, ensure that that's, that that's in place. Um, our research, would indicate that that what leaders do that kind of really establishes that trust uh, clearly begins with treating people around them with respect and dignity. Uh -huh. uh, and, and I think that there is one fundamental core core message that you would hope all leaders could could get. It would be that. Um, effective leadership has at its heart uh, the ability of the leader to, to create uh, strong, positive feelings uh, with the people who work together. And that it, it's because they get treated with, with great respect. And, and, uh, and therefore, I think there are a lot of little things that leaders do that, that, that can do that. I mean, um, one of my one of my colleagues said he was talking with his uh, his son on the way to the airport, and the son who had just finished schooling his his master's degree program said to him, 
you know, if, if there was one, there's one thing you think I could do that would really help me to become a better leader, what would it be? And, and his, his dad said to him, you know, learn to, learn to ask people for feedback. Uh, learn to, to, to deliberately seek out feedback from your colleagues. Some people think that that's a sign of weakness, but, but our research is really clear that it's, it's a sign of strength and that if you could get people to become more, more prone to kind of ask for feedback, you could, you could really change their careers. You can change their lives. And that, that humility that says, I really value what you have to say. I'm interested in what you have to say. I think you've got a useful perspective that I will value and I will gain from. Um, those are the little things that leaders do that really creates that fundamental uh, foundation of trust. Yeah. Thank you. So well said. Yeah. And I, I love your message. Strong, positive feelings. And I just, I, yeah, I can't stress that enough. Thank you. And can I ask a follow-up question, Tricia? Absolutely. I got to, mm -hmm. now I have to remember what it was. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> We, we talk about authenticity a lot, uh, particularly amongst the three of us and, and how important it is to bring your full, authentic, uh, even vulnerable self. I recently read an article and I, I can't recall who the author was, unfortunately, but they talked, they had a little different twist on it. And they said, sometimes you can be too authentic and vulnerable. Do you have any, any uh, thoughts on that? <laughs> I thought it was pretty, I thought it was pretty interesting. And I actually fell into that trap myself uh, not too long ago, but uh, just any, any follow-up thoughts from you on that? You know, it's interesting. Um, there, there has been this, this, this philosophy or this point of view in the world of leadership uh, development and, and leadership analysis that says, you know, that that a strength uh, taken too far becomes a weakness. That, mm -hmm, that you, can, mm -hmm. you can overdo strengths. Uh, one of the things you may know about me and about the, the firm I'm with now is that we, we happen to be very much uh, believers in this whole 360 degree feedback process. And so we have a we have a million and a half 360 degree assessments pertaining to about 150,000 leaders around the world in all kinds of industries and different parts of the you know, geographies, different cultures. Uh, as you look at our data, we don't ever see a leader practicing a strength in excess. Now that isn't to say that there aren't some behaviors that you can you can exhibit to to an excess. So uh, there are those who have argued that um, you know being um, assertive, being um, being straightforward, uh, can be taken too far, and and I would be the first to agree with that. Mm -hmm, <laughs> you, mm -hmm. you can have people who are too assertive, too aggressive, too controlling, too demanding, too, you know, too, too focused on results. You can have people who are too focused on uh, enabling behaviors uh, and too, too willing to kind of just go along and get along and, and kind of, uh, but I don't consider either one of those two, what I would call core strengths. 
um, a strength in, in my book is something that um, is, is valuable in virtually every culture. And it's, it's valuable. And we don't ever see people who are too honest uh, or who are, who are too um, strategic in their thinking or who are too good at problem solvers or who are too good at communicating. So things that, that our research would indicate are true strengths, the higher the score that a person gets in terms of the feedback that he or she receives from their colleagues, we never see it beginning to top off and say, oh, this, this person is too good of a problem solver. This person is too good of a strategic thinker. This person is too good of a collaborator. Uh, no. But, but we do see, uh, we do see people who are saying, yeah, this person can be too demanding. This person is, you know, so I guess it, a little bit depends upon um, whether this is a, a real strength. And so now getting back to your question about authenticity, uh, it all depends, I guess, how that authenticity is played out and, and, and how it, it gets expressed. Um, I I need to stop and think about that, whether if you, if a leader truly showed her um, values and her objectives and her strategy for the firm, would that circle back and harm that person? And I, I guess I need to Think of some examples where I thought that would occur. Can they wear their heart on their sleeves too much? Can they, <laughs> can they be a little too sensitive? Yeah, I think that happens. But that's not what I would define as um, revealing your authentic self. So I don't know. That's a pretty waffly answer to your question. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, no, uh, great answer. Thank you so much. Thanks for the, uh, the follow-up as well. Appreciate it. It's an interesting um, topic in a way. And it, it, you were talking about have you that you've not really ever witnessed uh, or seen um, evidence that a person's demonstrating their strength to excess. I find, mm -hmm. I find that really interesting. And it, I don't know why it's making me think about when, when I was, um, and I have to take, I'm prefacing a question here. Um, when I first became a leader a long time ago, I was actually promoted from within. And I was promoted from within because I was told I had strengths that were, um, desired for the mm -hmm. position. Mm -hmm. Now I went from, from being a peer to my then direct reports, <laughs> my new direct reports, and I instantly found myself um, taking those strengths right down the tube because I lost trust immediately. I wasn't quite sure what that, what those steps needed to be for me to continue to still interact with them, but to now be their, their leader. And I found, you know, the 30 seconds it took me to lose their trust, probably about a year or longer <laughs> to, in some cases, gain it back. And I, I would posit that there were a few I never did gain their trust back. Mm -hmm. So my question, I guess, for you is, you know, 
what what do you suggest or what advice would you have for if you were to have a room full of brand new leaders that were promoted from within what would what would you give them in terms of advice for how to not lose trust in 30 seconds <laughs> <laughs> well what what i would probably this is a, this is the question which i i appreciate being asked because I have a fairly straightforward answer to it. And that is what one piece of advice would you give to a new, new manager in, in a situation? And the, the advice would include things like, um, people are gonna come to you and ask you questions. And the one piece of advice I would give to you is don't answer their question immediately. Uh, almost always <coughs> pause and say, look, Chances are you've been thinking about this question a lot longer than I have. So what do you think? And I think that simple reply of what do you think? What's your opinion? You're closer to this than I am. Uh, has an amazing kind of ripple effect. I mean, first of all, it communicates, uh, I respect you. I think you have a useful uh, point of view that I may not have. Um, I, I value you, what you're going to tell me. Um, and I think uh, it begins to help other people know that you don't believe that you have all the answers and that because you're the manager, you now mm -hmm. suddenly have been given this, you've been endowed with this burst of wisdom that, that <laughs> surpasses all that they have. And so I think that, that uh, practice of not, instantly answering people's questions uh, but indeed to kind of always seek what what they believe is the right answer i guess my final observation would be i i don't pretend to be a perfect manager by any means but i i have practiced this one um process pretty pretty religiously and i will tell you that it's prevented me from making a lot of dumb decisions. I mean, I, I, I know that because of I, I paused to listen to what they thought, I thought, oh my goodness, I would not have thought of that. I would not have seen that side of the story. I would not have, would not have done that. So I, I think that, that um, willingness to kind of always ask other people what, what they, they think is probably the one piece of advice that I would give to a new manager about what can you do to not not lose the, the trust of people that you're suddenly being being um, now made the supervisor of. Secondly, I guess it would be the thing I alluded to earlier, and that was that is to ask for feedback. Mm -hmm. and, and I, you know, I, I'll tell you this quick little story. So <clears throat> I have a, a friend and you may know the name of Kevin Wildey, who for a number of years was the chief learning officer for General Mills. We had, our company had invited Kevin to, to speak at one of our, our leadership conferences. And, and uh, a couple of days after that event occurred, you know, I get a phone call from him and he says, Jack, I'd like to ask a favor of you. Okay, great. Um, he said, you know, I'm gonna give that presentation again. And I'd like you, if you would, to just give me one suggestion about what I could do to make that a better presentation. Nice. 
well, here's this guy who had been a General Electric, General Mills, uh, chief learning officer, very successful career. Here he is calling me, asking me for a suggestion about how to make a presentation better. Well, it happened that I'd kind of listened to that presentation carefully, and I, I did have one observation, and so I passed it on. He said, hey, thanks very much. That's all I wanted to know. Good to talk to you. Goodbye. And that was the end of the conversation. And I hung the phone up and I said, now I know why you have been so successful. Mm -hmm. uh, because you had the, the self-confidence, the courage, and also kind of the respect for your colleagues to ask them what one thing. So he clearly wasn't calling me fishing for compliments. I mean, because he, he said, I want to have one suggestion for making it better. So he clearly had the objective of getting better. And that just says worlds about his growth mindset, you know, that no matter how good you are, you can get better. Mm -hmm. and, and his, uh, and his <clears throat> practice of that. So I think there are some little things that the leaders can learn to do uh, early in their career that gets them off on the on the right foot, and then there are some things that they can you know easily fall into that gets them off on the wrong foot. So I have no idea what you did to kind of lose the trust of the people around you, but you probably can see it in in, in hindsight. You know, you could probably oh, kind of certainly, yeah. I learned a lot after that, <laughs> yeah. and I learned it over years. It took me a while, I think, to grow into my own skin when it came to being a leader. So you know, it's not. That wasn't um, something that came easily and, and overnight at all. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because we, the three of us are in learning and development and organizational uh, development as, as our field of practice. And um, what you were talking about, those things on the front end are often the things that we have to coach to on the other end because for so long people have been doing it wrong mm -hmm. that they've never really had the trust, but they've had... I don't know, the fear or whatever that people will follow them, you know, because they have to. And so it's, that's so insightful. I really appreciate that um, input on the front end. Uh, I think that might be helpful for anybody who's listening to this podcast, who's early in their career as a leader mm -hmm. and really wants to find out now before it's too late or before they end up, you know, spending years trying to unpack it. And so I appreciate that. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. I, I would also say, though, that I think that this is an area where as people advance in their careers that they struggle with. So it's yeah. almost like as they rise up the, the chain, the less and less they ask for that feedback. And the, that I don't know if it's just they don't care anymore or they just um, if it becomes too much vulnerability for them to feel like they could ask for that feedback and to really hear it and they become so insulated so um i don't know maybe if you could speak a little bit to that like the importance of continuing to ask for that feedback and being open and courageous it does take courage mm -hmm. to actually be w willing to ask for that feedback and I, that's probably where those 360s are so important mm -hmm. um, that, that you um, do with people. Crystal, we, we have some data that sort of is broken out by age. 
and and this propensity to kind of ask for feedback or not ask for feedback. And what you said is absolutely right. It it starts out when people are in their younger younger years in their first supervisory positions. They're they're much more prone to ask for feedback. And then as people go through their careers to through middle management, so it's it's hard to know if it's the level in the organization that's having this effect or whether it's their age, but it's those two things tend to go together a little bit. And but it's really clear that the 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 demographic that we collect and the the information about what position you're in, those two things go hand in hand. And it it willingness to ask for feedback, seek for feedback tends to keep dropping through the age of 55 or, or so. Um, hmm. Now, when they get to be 89, they get to be very, very much more open and, and <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> but no, I, I, I think we, we do see that. Whether it's, um, I'm fearful that it's the, you know, the, the, the twin demons that beset people in, in leadership, which are the demons of arrogance and complacency. Mm-hmm. That, gee, I must be wonderful, or I wouldn't have been put in this position. Uh, I've, been, I've, I've succeeded in the past, therefore I can just kind of coast. Uh, so I, I think this combination of getting um, complacent about the role you're in and and kind of arrogant about what got you there and and um, maybe as part of it. Um, so it's I'm sure it's I'm sure it's complex. I will tell you you, you asked you know, some of the things I what, I what I'm thinking about. But I have I have a strange theory that I will share with you, which I have no data to support, but but I, I will tell you my theory. My theory is that if you could get people to be more, you know, to be to, to force themselves to ask for feedback from their colleagues, that that very process would increase their level of self-confidence. Oh, well. <laughs> that very process would increase their level of self-confidence. And that if you believe in the whole principle that your behavior changes your attitude rather than your attitude driving your behavior, if you could get people to behave in that way, I believe you could change their level of confidence. And just as one more aside, one of the things that we've been kind of talking about thinking about and writing about recently is the fact that women, women leaders uh, at an early age are perceived by their peers and bosses and and themselves as having lower self-confidence than than their male counterparts. And it's not until they reach about the age of 50 that that ever, that that comes together and and males and females are, are basically equivalent. How do we help women in their early careers to increase their level of self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We know that if you post a job, uh, a man reads the job posting and says, well, I'm two out of three, I, I'm gonna apply for that job. Women, I gotta have all three uh, of these requirements or I won't apply. Mm-hmm. How do we 
how do we how do we help women to kind of elevate their level of confidence early in their careers? Um, and I, if I knew the, the solution to how do you help people build their confidence, I, I would be <laughs> whatever. But I think, I think getting people to force themselves to seek feedback is one way. And I have no data to prove it. Well, you know, though, it's interesting you say that because you brought up confidence and that was where I was going to go with this was, you know, I, I've noticed, you know, sometimes in people I've spoken to that they seem less confident the higher they get. And I think it might be that they've been in that room with the door closed for so long that they may be a little bit afraid of that. What's going to happen if I, you know, present myself. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but, but. I do believe that confidence is something that has to do with that as well. And I, I've never been able to quite identify what that one thing was that caused that. So. Yeah. And it's interesting too, that, you know, the, the conversation we were having about the executive level and not seeking as much feedback and, and becoming complacent and, and some of the arrogance really fits in with uh, what a lot of the EQ folks have found in their own research is that the higher up the, the ladder you get, so to speak, the lower your EQ points are, start to slip. So it uh, certainly fits, uh, fits within that uh, body of research as well. So Gosh, we could unpack leaders <laughs> on this one. So, Danielle, did you have a, another follow-up question you to ask on? Um, for some reason, I thought we had another question you were going to talk about. I think I think one of the questions that we had was around what what have you found is you know, and I'm sure there's a number of things, but. Um, you know, we're all fallible and we're going to break people's trust. It, not that we want to or intend to. And sometimes it's even more of the perception than the reality. We're just coming from different places. And, um, but the end result is we've got broken trust. How do we go about solving that, building that, you know, you know we know the research says it, it takes so long to build that trust and just a moment to break it. So, you know, advice about that. Well, um, it is true that um, trust does take time to build and it's, it is, uh, is, you know, sometimes just one act can kind of uh, seriously wound it. Um, I don't know of any magic elixir that we can prescribe that will kind of undo all that. Um, I, I think there's nothing like apology and uh, heartfelt saying, "Hey, you know, I that I was wrong. That was not a not a good decision I made," and not pretending I'm. I'm, I'm perfect. Uh, I think that that helps. Um, and it's, it's refreshing when you see uh, executives who say, yeah, that, that was not a, not a good decision. Uh, and uh, we, we do make mistakes. Uh, and, and that's part of being part of being human and part of being part of being in, in that in that position. And uh, 
but I wish I had a, a good solution to how you rebuild trust. But uh, I, I think it's the same things that, that built trust originally. And um, so it's, it's good communication, treating people with respect, uh, being, a, being a good collaborator. And uh, it, it's, it's those behaviors that I think in the long run will will win, and, and I, um, I, I think it can be repaired. But it, there's no question that it's 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 a, a lot easier to not not lose it, not destroy it, than it is to kind of rebuild it when it's been been lost. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so important. What you just said there, though about um, recognizing it. And that's part of that feedback piece that you were talking about <clears throat> is you, you have to know that it's been broken and then to apologize. Um, yeah, that seems to go a long ways. Thank you. We have a, another person here. He's not really a person, he's a fur kid, but he's, <laughs> he pipes up, please forgive him. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so yeah so i'm i guess i'm curious right now because we're talking about trust and you've got so many other elements of leadership that you've written about um i have just about everything you've ever written and and i have to admit i uh, seriously well at least book wise and i have to admit that um i came from an organization that really followed a lot of um of what you wrote about it earlier on. And so I, you know, I have a lot of respect for that, but I'm wondering, um, what are you working on right now? You want to share? <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. So um, my colleague, Joe Folkman and I have been doing some writing and th thinking about the, the issue of, uh, of women and, and strategy. So uh, you, you may know that we've done some research on gender differences in leadership. And, and what we've found, uh, much to the dismay of some of our male colleagues, is that uh, as you look at the, the broad range of leadership competencies that we measure, uh, women are statistically significantly better than men on 13 out of the 19 competencies that we measure. They're about a wash with on three or four others. And then there's one or two that they don't, don't score as well on. Uh, and I'm really fascinated by what we could do to kind of help help them and so this gets a little bit back to the thing that I mentioned earlier, and that is that we, we do know that women's self-confidence seems to be uh, perceived to be lower in their earlier years. The other thing that seems to be, that seems to be lower is their, the way they are perceived on strategic thinking. Huh. Uh, and so uh, we are fascinated by what you can do to kind of maybe help women be perceived on that, on that dimension. Because what, 
what we know also about about women is that as you go up the organizational ladder, that there's an, a decreasingly small percentage of women. So women CEOs, there's about 3% as, as one kind of wag commented, there are more men named John who are CEOs than there are all the women. Yeah. Um, so why is that? And, and what is there that, and, and does this, is this difference in, in uh, the way they are perceived in terms of strategic thinking, does that get in the way? Because the other thing that our research shows pretty clearly is the biggest difference between those who are elevated to the senior most positions in companies and those who kind of at the middle and, and lower levels is this strategic thinking uh, kind of attribute. Hmm. So what do you, how do we help women on that one? And so I was having this discussion with a, a, a coach, a woman coach, and she was, she was, she had kind of like some of the same observations. And she said that with one of her clients, she said, you know, maybe it would help if you kind of deliberately altered some of your language so that in a, in a management meeting, rather than just simply coming up with a, a new idea or a new perspective, what if you prefaced it with something like, uh, so how does this fit into, our, how does this thing that we're talking about fit into our overall strategy? How does it fit into our long-term corporate initiatives? Or what are the strategic implications of this decision that we're, that we're making? So to deliberately bring into the conversation the fact that, that she is trying to link what you're doing with strategy. And so she said that she had this client who did that. And about a year later, when she did a repeat 360, guess what had happened? <laughs> she had gone from being kind of fairly, you know, low in terms of her scores on, on strategic thinking. Wow, she was now perceived by her peers and, and, and colleagues as being very high. She was doing really well on this. And it was nothing more than her kind of deliberately using that language. It, is it because women don't use that language as much? Uh, uh, and so what we're currently thinking about is how do we how do we help kind of level this playing field and in this one area that that may be responsible for women not being elevated to senior positions in the same percentage as they ought to be maybe we can help fix that oh it's fascinating yeah very that's great it makes me wonder, you know, women often are perceived as being the ones who are, you know, they'll come in and fix or they'll, they'll have a quick fix to a solution or a solution to an issue. So it's really come in and put out the fire right now. And so they may often just be, you know, revolving around that world instead of 
um, being seen as somebody who's thinking further out. They may be thinking further out, but they're so busy doing all of this, you know, let's fix this right now, let's get this right now, let's get it on the table, let's do that, that they they may not be seen as any, as people who could do anything more than them. So it's really interesting that you take it to the, how do we shift language to, to have them perceived so differently, that would be great. Language is powerful. It is. Well, and, and it's also true um, that, that we're, we're learning, I think, more and more, and there's better and better evidence that, that uh, there are some genetic differences in women's brains and men's brains. They're wired a little bit differently. Yeah. Uh, women have a, a much larger corpus callosum, which, is, which connects the two, the two hemispheres. And so is it because women are much more adept at kind of going back and forth between you know, the, the tangible physical results and the interpersonal emotional consequences of those results. Um, but we, we do know that there are differences in, in the male and female brain. Uh, and if we can just help people understand, you know, the, the, the positive advantages of those, uh, those differences. Uh, and that if, if we're, if we're perceiving the, the woman's ability to kind of focus on multiple tasks simultaneously and to see the broader dimensions in contrast to their male counterparts who are much more linear and following this straight path. Uh, if we can see that those are, you know, those are just inborn differences and that it's okay. Uh, what, a, what a difference we could make maybe in, in, in having a higher number of women elevated to the more senior positions, which is clearly uh, would be a, a great asset to many organizations. Yeah, yeah, we're missing we're missing that perspective at the highest highest levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. Fascinating. I I'm going to be interested to see where you go with this because um, I think it will have a lot to of impact on the kind of work that we do, and um, certainly you know we all end up coaching a lot. And I think that that might be, there might be a, an opportunity for us to get um, women at younger ages as well, you know, to try and, and kind of head that off at the past before it is something that they've already entered the workforce and it's, you know, something has to be fixed. Yeah. So we are, I'm afraid, getting very, very to our end. And I am, I'm so sorry. I mean, we could sit here and have this conversation for five or six hours. And, <laughs> but I want to thank you, Jack, so much for spending so much time with us. We, we, that was a gift for us. We really mm -hmm. appreciate it. Mm -hmm. It's been awesome. In fact, this is, this isn't just helping us, um, the three of us who love getting together and talking about leadership, but it is also um, something that I think we can each take back and, and pretty quickly um, put some action to some of this and, yeah. and yeah. use it um, to the advantage of our, our own clients. So we really appreciate this. Uh, we weren't trying to, you know, pull that out of you so that we can take it away, but we are taking it away because it's important. And I think it'll be great for those who are listening to this podcast as well. So I'm going to close. Um, and to remind our audiences to please 
send questions. We'd love to get comments on what you thought about today's um, airing. We think that's this is an awesome uh, topic and we've got one awesome speaker. We really appreciate that. Um, but in these unprecedented times, um, we're gonna keep trying to come up with answers to any questions that people have. And uh, we'd like you to send your questions to leadership and lattes, that's leadership A-N-D lattes at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about us or our show, please go to thepinnaclecc.com, thepinnaclecc as in cat.com. Technical support is through Ari Chance Roberts, who has done all the setup for us. And last, we'd like you to subscribe to our podcast. Podcast, it's free. Um, we do believe that all lead, all people lead, and we would like to encourage anyone who feels that they're a leader at all levels to please send us questions, comments. We welcome them. And Jack, we welcome uh, the opportunity to touch base with you again later in our year and, and let you know how we're doing. And we hope to hear wonderful things from what you're doing as well. But thank and you so much. Yes. Also, yeah. so Jack, do you want to um, give a shout out to where they can connect with you as yeah. well? Yeah. So we also have a podcast uh, called the 90th Percentile. It's a free of charge podcast. And so the, your listeners are welcome to sign up for that. We we try to have a regular update of some of our research and, and so we would welcome that. Uh, and they can contact us by going to our website, which is www.zengerfolkman.com. And we'll be sure to put that on our LinkedIn uh, sites as well to make sure that everybody has it. We did try that once on the first uh, thing and it just didn't come up live so we'll just make oh. sure we put a, a link to it all right okay. yeah and we'll link it we'll link it in our guest page also off of the pinnacle um website as well so Good. yeah absolutely yeah. thank you so much yes. for your you're welcome thank you again jack so nice. much nice. there yeah. <laughs> okay bye bye for now yeah. hey.